we are kicking off a new series, and I have the privilege of doing that this morning. Uh, you guys are going to be in the Old Testament, and um, I have the privilege of kicking off Exodus. You're in the book of Exodus, and uh, Exodus is a real amazing book. Uh, it's a book of oppression, it's a book of deliverance, and it's a book of freedom. And uh, we're in chapter one this morning. And so I'd encourage you to get out your Bibles or your phones. It's also going to come up on the screen. And we are in God's word. We're going to read chapter one, verses one to 22. So here we go. Now you'll have to forgive me if I say some names wrong. Because I'm not very good at that. But anyway, okay. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Iscar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifara, maybe, and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stall, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered, Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives. And the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Amen. Amen. Ah, awesome. I don't mind a little bit of shouting out or amens or come-ons or any of that stuff. So if you, if you are so inclined, then feel free to do that. I love it. There we go. There we go. Okay. So um, does, has anyone seen 24? Does anyone like the 24 box set? Has anyone seen? Yeah, hands up if you like a bit of 24. Yeah, Jack Bauer in 24. So um, 24 a few years ago was incredibly popular. I think Chuck and I watched all the series of it, maybe nine in total. And uh, there are 
There are all sorts of characters really in 24, but Jack Bauer, he's the key one. He's the person. And he's a secret agent. He works for the counter-terrorism units. And his role, his job, is basically to stop terrorism happening on American soil. And uh, over the years, as we have watched uh, 24, there have been some classic Jack Bauer uh, little phrases or sentences. So if you're a fan, you may recognize some of these. So I wish I could do his, his uh, gravelly voice, but I can't, so you'll have to excuse that. He says things like, secure the perimeter. I need backup. I need all tactical units on site. Send him to holding. Can you run point? Stand down. Right now, it's our best play. And finally, my personal favorite is I'm going dark. And so occasionally, Jack would go deep undercover and he wouldn't communicate with anyone and no one would be able to communicate with him. They would not be able to tell him whether to change his mission, whether to abort his mission. They couldn't tell him anything. And he would go dark until the mission was accomplished. And the point is that at the very beginning of Exodus, under huge persecution, the Israelites could have been forgiven in believing that God had forsaken them, that God had left them. This, of course, was not the case at all. Instead, God had gone dark, if you like. He, he's doing a Jack Bauer. He is silently at work behind the scenes, in the background. He's hidden from view. And he's making ways that at the time wouldn't seem immediately apparent to the Israelites. So they have this enemy Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is really, he's out to get them. He is out to crush and to oppress them both physically and emotionally. And we see that he creates labor camps for them. And when that doesn't work, his second plan is genocide, total annihilation. Now, we may not have a pharaoh to contend with, but we do have an enemy. And we do have an enemy who does also want to destroy us and to take us out. And I know that to be the case for the whole of my life this far. As a two and then a five-year-old battling for my life in hospital. As a teenager battling over my health and my faith. As a newlywed, experiencing severe depression. As a daughter, fighting for my family's health and their faith. As a wife, battling over my own image and identity. As a mother, battling over guilt and worry and anxiety. And as a leader, battling with my calling and my huge insecurities. You see... I know for all of us here, we have our own personal battles, don't we? And we shouldn't be surprised when they come because we have an enemy, just like the Israelites had an enemy, who wants to annihilate us, who wants to take us out. And being a Christian does not give us immunity from that. In fact, quite the opposite, we become the target for him. And until Jesus comes again for God's people, there will always be a battle. There'll always be a battle. And let's just have a look at a couple of ways that the enemy, he tries to get at the Israelites. Firstly, he oppresses, verse 11. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them. 
Now, if you look up the word oppress in the dictionary, what you'll find is oppress and depress are the same. They have the same literal meaning, and that is to press down upon to press down upon. A few uh, years ago, as a church, we ran a course called the Dealing with Depression course. And it was probably one of the only courses that people immediately signed up to and we had a waiting list. It was unbelievable. So many people took up the course because there's such a need for it. A survey a couple of years ago that was taken by the Christian Research found that more than a third of Christians have suffered with mental health issues. I too have had mental health issues in my story. I've struggled with severe depression, at times suicidal thoughts. I've been signed off work. I've not wanted to leave the house. I couldn't sleep. And at times, living Daily living was absolutely exhausting. It just felt like a huge battle to get through the day. At its worst, the enemy wanted me to believe that my life was worthless. It was meaningless and that actually everyone would be better off if I wasn't around. He wanted me to believe that God had left me. And for many of us, our battle is with our mental health. And what happens is Satan comes and he employs two distinct tactics, really, to wage war against us. Firstly, he tries to keep us from believing that God is real. And if that doesn't work, he tries to keep us from experiencing all that is rightfully ours as God's child. You see, depression, it attacks our spirit and it steals our life and our joy. It infects our heart and it robs us of the health and peace and joy that is rightfully ours as God's children. Now, medication helped me massively, massively. Friends who would not take no for an answer when every time I would push them away, I wouldn't answer the phone or I wouldn't answer the door, who would not take no, who would keep coming round, who would pray for me, who would encourage me. I also received a huge amount of inner healing prayer ministry where week after week I would see the same two people and they would invite the Holy Spirit to come. And the Holy Spirit came into every part of me in rooms that I had not only shut but padlocked and chained. And the Holy Spirit just encouraged me. You can open those up. There's healing for you. There's freedom for you. And my story is that Jesus, he came and he healed me from depression. And I know that isn't everybody's story today. For some of us, we have been battling with this for years and years and years. In fact, we can't remember when we, when we didn't have depression. For others of us, maybe we need to acknowledge the battle we're in right now. Maybe we've never told anyone, actually, I'm really struggling in this area. I encourage you not only to tell someone, but to go to the doctor's. Go to the doctors. You see, for God's people, there will always be a battle. But the promise of God that is over our lives, that we can hold fast to. And if I was a tattooing kind of girl, I'd have this tattooed on my arm because I absolutely love it. It's John 1 verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. That's the truth. That's the truth. That is what we hold on to. That is what we invite the Spirit into. Every single day, come, come into my thoughts, come into my mind, because the darkness has not overcome it. 
Secondly, he's ruthless. Verse 13, and work them ruthlessly, we're told. So there's a battle over our bodies as well. Because we all know you can't be worked ruthlessly and our bodies not suffer, right? Pain and disease are another way that the battle comes to us. I don't know if anyone here has seen the Martian uh, film. It was out a few years ago. Um, But in the Martian, there's a main character called Mark, and he's part of the NASA team. And Mark goes to the Red Planet. And uh, Mark is left for dead on the Red Planet. And catastrophe after catastrophe follows Mark wherever he goes. There's disaster at every turn, at every twist. Everything goes completely wrong for him. But at each disappointment, Mark has this opportunity where he could give up, he could give in, he could despair, or he could just outright quit. But yet he perseveres. He perseveres despite his endless ordeals until eventually he makes it back to earth. He makes it home. And just like him, for many of us here in the room this morning, you have been persevering with endless physical ordeals. You've been persevering with chronic pain and with illness. And if it's not our bodies the battle is in, then it's actually someone that we know, someone that we love. And again, for me, I've watched my mum endure a 20-year battle with ME, where at her worst, she couldn't walk. She was in bed about 23 hours a day. She couldn't speak very well. It was tough. Like I said to you, I've, I've been sick myself, and as a child, I had a, a rare kidney disease. And then just recently, bad back pain. Backs are, oh. Not great sometimes. Let me just say, life isn't fair. It's not fair. Illness isn't fair. It's totally unfair what you are going through. I really want some of you to hear that this morning. It isn't fair what you are dealing with. It isn't fair the heartbreak that it brings you. It isn't fair the impact that it has on your friends and your family. It isn't fair the amount of worry and pain that it causes you. It isn't fair. It's nothing you've done. It's nothing I've done. And it's nothing that God has done. And in the vineyard, we have this theology, this kingdom theology that puts a framework around this stuff. And it's called the now and the not yet. And we believe, as a family of churches, that God is here. We believe that the kingdom of God is here. He is here, but he's not yet fully here. He's not yet fully present with all his power and with all his glory. And until Jesus comes again to decimate our enemy once and for all, there will be sickness and there will be death. And the Israelites, they must have felt utterly desperate, completely hopeless under the Egyptians' cruel dealings with them. And the idea that that God was somehow working out his plan would have seemed so far away for them, so remote, yet it was still true. It was still true. You see, even though it's not fair, God is still good. Even though it's not fair, God is still on his throne. He's still on his throne. Even though it's not fair, God 
can still use us. And he does use us. And my friend, she on her desk, she's got this really cute like little um, friend uh, quote. And it says this, even broken crayons can colour. I love that. I love that. You see, we may never know God's plan this side of eternity. Some of us, we're going to be instantaneously healed. We had a leadership conference a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we heard some amazing stories of physical healing. It was wonderful. Some of us, we're going to be healed bit by bit and inch by inch. And some of us, we may never be healed this side of heaven. But we have an all powerful God, a God who is watching over us, a God who is beckoning us to himself to nestle in under his wing. My prayer for all of us who are in a battle over our physical bodies right now can be summed up in Ruth 2 verse 12 where it says, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Take refuge in him. Find him, the God of comfort, the God who has not forsaken you, the God who has not left you, the God who knows every inch of your life. And so we know that for God's people, there will always be a battle. And in the battle, there's still God. And I love that as we look towards the end of this chapter, in the midst of all this darkness, then suddenly we see a light. Suddenly we see God as he starts to reveal himself in the most absolutely beautiful way. And he reveals himself to these Hebrew midwives. So they've been commanded by Pharaoh. They've been told by the king of Egypt to kill all these baby boys. And the midwives, courageously, they stand up to the king and they say, we will not do that. They put a a hand in the face of injustice and they stand up to evil and they say, not on our watch. There is no way we're going to do that. And so they defied Pharaoh and they risked their own lives so that these baby boys, they could live. But for me, the thing that hit me as I've been studying the scriptures is just the sweetness of God. The sweetness of God, because most scholars will agree, will agree that the midwives in Israel, they would have been barren women. They would have been women that couldn't have children for themselves. And who, in order for them to find their place in society where family was um, so highly valued, they were given the responsibility of delivering other people's babies. That's what they were given because they couldn't have children of their own. And so look what God does. Look what he does in verse 21. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. You see, they receive their heart's desires. They have children of their own. And I absolutely love this. What a beautiful picture of our deeply personal, deeply caring, deeply loving God, revealing himself to these Hebrew midwives in just the sweetest sweetest possible way. You see, it's the whisper of God. I'm here. I see you. I am with you. It's God breaking in and changing the midwife's situation completely and utterly beyond all they could have ever hoped or dreamt for 
God breaks in. That's what he does. He's saying to them, I've not forgotten you. I've not left you. I am your God and you are mine. You are mine. In the battle, they're still God. They're still God. In the battle, there's still a call. There's still a call. I love going to the hairdressers. I love it. I love, I love, it's a little bit like stars in their eyes, you know. I, I, I uh, go in looking like one person and come out looking completely different. I absolutely love it. And over the years, because I've changed my hairstyle so much, short, dark, blonde, whatever, um, we've had to keep changing my photo because people don't know who I am at the church. And so it's like, oh, okay, she's changed her hair again. Uh, unfortunately for Chuck, he doesn't have the same problem as me. Shame, shame. But I love the transformation that happens. And the same also could be said for the Israelites. Notice here in verse 5, they came into Egypt, the descendants of Jacob, number 70 in all. And they left Egypt, chapter 12, verse 37 tells us, the Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, where there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. They're unrecognizable, completely unrecognizable. What a difference between the 70 who entered Egypt and the 600,000 men plus women and children who left. They arrived in Egypt, a mere clan, and they left Egypt as a great nation. You see, the coming in and the going out of God's people, it matters. It matters. Things shouldn't stay the same. We shouldn't look the same. Our workplaces, our places of study, our families, our communities, our homes must always be continually growing and changing, being shaped and marinated by the presence of God. I'm sure many of you would pray on a Sunday, as I often do, Lord, don't let me leave here the same as I came in. Do something in me. Change me. You see, as God's people, we carry his presence. We carry the Holy Spirit. And we take the Holy Spirit into our everyday, into every single thing we do, into every door that we walk through. And the call of God that is upon our lives is to infect our workplaces, our friendships, our relationships, and our communities with a makeover from the Holy Spirit. You see, as we daily come into those places, our everyday places, and as we engage and we do life, and then we go out, seeing bit by bit and inch by inch the transformation of those people and those places. That's what we're called to do. What a privilege. What an honor that God uses us to do that. A couple of years ago, we had an amazing girl called Mary on our staff team. And uh, Mary had a sense of call to be an actress, and that's what she's gone to do. She's pursuing that dream. And Mary um, was given a lead part in one of the pantomimes in Aberdeen. And she, she performed a staggering 29 shows. And uh, during, during uh, just before the shows, what Mary decided to do was she was going to find anyone that wanted to pray with her before the show. And she found one other Christian person, and so they started to pray. And then over these 29 shows, Mary started to gather the cast and crew. 
and ask, hey, do you want to pray with us? We're just going to pray before we go on. And she eventually got every single person in the cast and crew praying before the performance. And uh, there was one guy who um, was also quite a, a main character, I think, in the pantomime. He'd sprained his ankle. And he came in one day and it was all bandaged up and he couldn't walk on it. And so, bless her, Mary was like, can I pray? Can I pray for you? And she prayed healing in the name of Jesus. And the next day, the guy comes in, no bandage, not swollen. He can walk on it. He can perform. Yay. And then on the very last night, night 29, when all the cast and crew were gathered around, she just said, I want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here that wants to give their life to Jesus. You can do that now. What a girl. What a girl. You see, the coming in and the going out of God's people, it matters. It really matters. And I think the challenge for all of us is, are we leaving a trail of Jesus behind every door we walk through? Alan Scott says, I love this, we are not merely the recipient of salvation. We are a participant. Invited to be involved in the recreation of all things, partnering with God to lead the earth into life. What a privilege. So just to recap, for God's people, there'll always be a battle. In the battle, there's still God. In the battle, there's still the call. And finally, in the battle, there's still blessing. There's still blessing. And in the middle of this really quite bleak chapter, whilst the battle is raging we also see the blessing of God. Verse 12. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. And even though Pharaoh and the Egyptians, they tried their best to suppress the Israelites. They tried their best to make them slaves, to make their lives unbearable. They could not stop the blessing of God. Blessing in the face of affliction has always been the story of God's people throughout the entire ages. His presence will always be with us, always be with us. And he can bless us no matter what our situation. He can bless us in a bad economy. He can bless us in a difficult marriage. He can bless us in a challenging workplace. He can bless us when our bodies are ailing and our minds are oppressed. He is big enough. He is big enough to handle our battles and he will come and he will meet us right in the very midst of them. Samuel Rutherford said, says this quote, I love it. Whenever I find myself in the cellar of affliction, I always look around for the wine. We need to look around for the wine. I love it. I'll finish with this. Um, as you know, I was ill as a child, and my dad told me this um, a few years ago, actually, that one Christmas I was about three, and I was too sick to go home for Christmas. So I was in hospital over Christmas, and my parents used to take it in turns to uh, sit by my bed and then sleep by my bed. And my dad, it was his turn, and he was feeling really heavy-hearted, he was looking at his wee daughter who was incredibly poorly, not being able to come home for Christmas. You can imagine all the pain and all the heartache that that would bring. And I was on a busy children's ward and he said the ward was full of children crying and moaning. 
And as he sat there, he said to me, this hush just came upon the ward. And suddenly all the children were just silent and just lying there peacefully. And then he looked and he just saw just a breeze come into the room. Now he looked, there was no windows open and there were no doors open. And he saw the breeze go and settle over a child's bed. And he could tell because the curtains were moving and the balloons and the Christmas decorations were moving. And my dad sat there as he watched the Holy Spirit, the breath of the Spirit of God, come and rest just ever so gently over every bed until it got around to me and my bed and my dad. And my dad said in that moment, all his burden, all his pain, all his questions, just everything, the Holy Spirit came and he just lifted it all from him. And he received a peace that he's never experienced before or since in that moment. The beauty of the Holy Spirit. You see, with the battle comes the blessing. It's to be found on the battlefield and it is never very far away. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand?